Hey there, welcome to the podcast. I'm so pumped. I'm in such a good mood because I just did an interview for the new season of Formally Speaking, which starts in just a couple of weeks. I can't believe we're almost at September. And it was just uh, so good, such a good energy flow and such a good reminder about our ability to heal our bodies, even when we're told that we can't or that it's going to be really hard to do so, that you're going to have to, you know, utilize a lot of doctors and get tested and do all these things. Um, And that isn't the way that it has to be, Um, especially when it comes back to just setting in the foundations of good health. And so very, very happy to be able to share this episode with you pretty soon. It won't be the first episode of the new season, but it'll be uh, within that first month of the new season. So stay tuned for that. If you aren't already subscribed to the podcast, now is the time to do it so that you don't miss any of those episodes. While you're at it, can you leave us a review, any type of review, on whatever platform that you are listening on. So if you can only do stars, give us five stars, if that's the height of what you can give. Um, If you are able to write a review on iTunes, that's fantastic too. We just love, love, love your support. And it is really what helps us to continue doing this and getting this out to more and more people. So take just a minute. I know it takes a second to do it. Um, and I know we're all really busy, so I super appreciate you taking that moment to do that and also share the podcast with anybody, you know, it might, that might need it, right? Which is just about every woman (laughs) because most of us have some hormonal issues going on. Speaking of that, if you are in the stage of your life called perimenopause, which Just as a reminder, if you're over age 35, you are in perimenopause, no matter what you have heard. Even if you're not quite 35, it's fantastic to start to get prepared and set your body up so that perimenopause will not be as tough as it is when we're starting from a not-so-great place. So we are offering perimenopause like a boss again to get you into that good place, get you set up with the foundations, get you set up with how to navigate the entirety of perimenopause into menopause and really build your body up instead of letting it be sort of torn down or flinging around in the crazy seas, as I think a lot of women end up feeling like, right? Just all over the place, not themselves. We don't want you experiencing that. We want you feeling strong in your body, empowered in your body. And this intro course, this just four weeks, is going to give you the foundations to get there. And then we will be offering further courses to dive deeper. But this is just a good starting to understand what's happening with your body, the changes that are going on with your body, and what to do to best support yourself. So come join us for the next couple of days. We have a special offer. Um, Do it with a friend because community is so important in working through health stuff, right? Having your girls along with you for the ride. So we're doing a $100 off for each person when you sign up with your friend, right? So it's normally $3.49 $3.49 a person. It's $2.49 a person for the next two days when you sign up with your friend. I'll have the link in the notes um, and you can grab your spots there. It is a limited um, spots available kind of program because we want to make sure that you get plenty of um, support from us. It's Marika and I that do the program together. We do live sessions where you can ask your questions. We have a private group where you can ask your questions and you really get so much out of it when you're doing it in the community aspect. I mean, people learn an incredible amount and come out in a totally different place at the other end of it. So come join us, click on the link in the show notes in order to go and sign up, grab those spots for cheaper for just the next two days. So I'm bringing you back an old episode because it's such a good comprehensive episode with a fantastic doctor where we talked PMS, PCOS, bioidentical hormones, the whole gamut of major things that um, women deal with. And Dr. Smith has been doing this work for many, many years and she's amazing. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump it in. See you soon. Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. 
I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Speaking. Very, very excited to have a really esteemed guest today who I was lucky enough to hear give a presentation at the A4M conference this year. This was the first time I had a chance to attend this uh, conference on bioidentical hormones, and I learned so much. And as I was just telling her, I really appreciated her presentation because she has been doing this work for so, so many years with women. And as we all know, there has been such a shift in recent times. I'm really focusing on women's hormones when for so long they were really pushed to the side. And her name is Pamela Smith, and she's an MD, MPH, MS, who spent her first 20 years of practice as an emergency room physician with the Detroit Medical Center and a level one trauma center, and then 28 years as an anti-aging functional medicine specialist. She is a diplomat of the Board of American Academy of Anti-Aging Physicians is an, and is an internationally known speaker and author on the subject of anti-aging and precision medicine. She also holds a master's in public health degree, along with a master's degree in metabolic and nutritional medicine. Dr. Smith is in private practice and is the senior partner for the Center for Precision Medicine with offices in Michigan and Florida. She has been featured on CNN, PBS, and many other television networks, has been interviewed in numerous consumer magazines, and has hosted two of her own radio shows. Dr. Smith was one of the featured physicians on the PBS series, The Embrace of Aging, as well as the online medical series, Awakening from Alzheimer's and regain your brain. Dr. Pamela Smith is the founder of the Fellowship in Anti-Aging, Regenerative and Functional Medicine, and is the past co-director of the master's program in metabolic and nutritional medicine at the Morsani College of Medicine, University of South Florida. She is the author of 11 and now 12 best-selling books. Her book, What You Must Know About Vitamins, Minerals, Herbs, and So Much More was published in 2020. Her bestseller, Max Your Immunity, was released in late 2021. And her newest book, What You Must Know About Women's Hormones, the second edition, was just released very recently. And as she will talk about, was already has already sold out, but there's going to be more. Her new PBS CNN special, How to Maximize Your Immune System, is being aired this summer. You can find her at the Center for Precision Medicine.com and at her website, mdpamelasmith.com. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Uh, thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, what an incredible bio. You obviously have such a wealth of information, and I always appreciate so much. Um, you know, an MD that has worked sort of both sides of the aisle, right? You have really done, you've been in the nitty gritty, obviously, when you were working in a trauma center, and then, you know, on the anti-aging side of things and bringing in the functional side of things. So actually, can you tell us how you made that transition first? Absolutely. Uh, the transition really came about when one of my ER partners came to me and said, there's this new field. It's called anti-aging medicine, and they're going to hold their first conference. Do you want to go? And I said, Cynthia, absolutely. It was Dr. Cynthia Shelby Lane. She and I are still part of AFRM, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Physicians. Uh, so we've been there since the beginning. Uh, wow. They're holding their 30th anniversary this year. And she got me to go. And it was interesting. I was having insomnia at the time. Mm. And honestly, I'd never have insomnia before. When my head hits the pillow, I'm pretty much out. Ah. And <laughs> so all like of a sudden, it. I couldn't sleep. Right. I went to 11 doctors, and they all told me the same thing. Go take a sleeping pill. Right. I am so glad that I went to this conference because my personal reason I couldn't sleep is I was in an age group where progesterone was low. I replaced progesterone and I slept like a baby within four days and have for the last 30 years. Yes. So honestly, <laughs> going to the first conference changed my life. That is 
That's incredible. And, you know, I think for listeners and, you know, there's listeners that have been for here for a while and sort of understand these things, but so many women struggle with that sleep issue first and foremost, right? That's one of the biggest things that happens as we start to go through these hormonal changes and the struggle with getting anything other than sleep medication from a doctor and understanding sort of that underlying reason that it's happening. You know, I, I love like focusing on that so that women really do understand there's so much more out there for them to be able to access. And that's really, yeah, totally agree with you. And in fact, really, that's what I love about anti-aging medicine. Mm. It looks at the cause of the problem instead of just treating symptoms. Absolutely. So did you end up pretty quickly then moving into the anti-aging field after that first conference? I did. I I realized that this is what I really needed to be doing. And so I had uh, several years of transition where I built my practice and worked in the ER at the same time. So I could afford to build my practice. Sure. Yeah. And then, well, that started the whole journey, which I, I've loved both of my careers in medicine. I couldn't say I love one more than the other, mm. but this is so exciting because when we look at a precision anti-aging approach, it is very science-based. Mm-hmm. There's many studies now to show that hormone replacement for women and actually hormone replacement for men is a necessity to mm-hmm. help maintain memory and to help prevent heart disease. Well, it's funny because we're you know going to talk about some of the other big things that women deal with these days um, when it comes to hormones, but I want to, I would love to have you back on another time to just cover hormone replacement therapy, because what you just said is what you know, I feel, and I think there's still so many women out there that are really scared about hormone replacement therapy because of what is really old information, right? Well, it is. In fact, uh, we are just pulling up the information now on all of this, mm-hmm. and we're going to publish a study this year showing that in our personal practice, a retrospective study, meaning you collect data beforehand, mm-hmm. that in the 30 years we've been there, we have no underlying no cases of breast cancer Mm. caused by hormones. So actually it's very different than what people think. You're so right. That's old school thinking. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And, you know, the pain that I see, you know, even clients that come to me go through is they go through the changes, the, you know, cyclical changes and the normal menopausal changes and how it doesn't have to be that way you know, if they support their bodies in the way that just these diminishing hormones are really, you know, causing the the issues. It does not. And it's for women of all age groups. Mm. Their hormones have to be balanced. It doesn't matter if they're 20 years of age, 30 years of age, 50 or 80 years of age. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have five daughters Mm -hmm. and I had one that was a naysayer. She said, mom, why are you going to the dark side? All of this is crazy. Uh, And she, you know, she was an airline pilot for a living. And now she works for the FAA at a very high level job. Mm -hmm. And when she had her only son, her hormones went amok. Because sometimes when women deliver, their hormones do not balance. So she called me and and now, honestly, she's my biggest supporter, Mm -hmm. but she had to experience it personally to uh, understand that this is where the science is. This is the medicine in 2022. Absolutely. Uh, Amazing. I do have one quick question before we get on to today's topics. I'm curious, just particularly for my mother, um, you know, she's way into menopause, what some people would call postmenopause um, at 75 years old at this point, you know, would, would it be a bad thing if she did get on hormones at this point that long after going into menopause? No, it's important to measure hormones first, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in women that are overweight. Mm-hmm. Estrogen is stored in fat cells. And when it is, a lot of these women do not lose hormones at menopause. Mm. So when they stop bleeding, they're still storing estrogen. In fact, I have a patient in my personal practice that is 74 Mm -hmm. and she still has her own estrogen. Wow. And this is the reason why people should see a fellowship trained practitioner Mm -hmm. so that they actually have done an entire fellowship in this field. And they realize that estrogen, when it leaves is different for every single woman. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to replace it until it's left. 
And with your mom, we do know that if you start hormones when estrogen leaves, for five to 10 years, you get the greatest heart protection right. and greatest brain protection. However, that does not mean I would not start a 90 year old woman on hormones. Mm. I would. There's mm. so much to offer still for memory, prevention of heart disease, bone loss. Bone, yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, estrogen maintains bone, progesterone yeah. builds bone. Yeah. Testosterone yeah. is the strength of bone and it builds bone. So even for prevention of osteoporosis. Yes. So is it too late for your mom or other women who are over the age of 65? Absolutely not. Thank you so much for that answer, because not only my mom, but I'm thinking of one of my clients too, who just, you know, she's in her sixties and just learned that she has osteoporosis. And to me, it's, you know, I mean, there's so many different layers to it, of course, but it's that, that missing estrogen or that estrogen, you know, and progesterone and, and testosterone, as you mentioned too, all of those working together that can do the most, um, in sort of, you know, not necessarily turning back the clock at that point, but keeping from further degradation of our bones and our brain health and our heart health. No, it's so important. Mm -hmm. I truly wish, and that's why I'm happy to be here today, Mm -hmm. that we get the public to understand that an anti-aging precision medicine approach is the standard of care. Mm -hmm. This is what we want to be able to have all women have access to. Yes, so much. So what are some of the biggest issues that you see with women, you know, coming to you and when it comes to hormones? Well, it's changed over time. Um, PCOS is certainly very common, mm-hmm. polycystic ovarian syndrome. But when I was in medical school 45 years ago, it was called Stein-Leventhal syndrome. Huh? And they told me that I would see maybe two, four cases in my entire career. Wow. And for some reason, PCOS has exploded. And I mean, I see 12 cases a week. Wow. It's so different. And we have so much to offer women with polycystic ovarian syndrome. So where are some of the places that women should start? Well, let's start with if they think they might have PCOS. Certainly they can see their OBGYN or primary care physician, whether they're in family medicine or internal medicine, but unless they're fellowship trained in this field, honestly, they may not suggest what the results would be and what the problems could be. So if the patient has PCOS, Mm -hmm. number one, we don't know what causes it. There is a lot of theories from, you know, high cadmium levels in the environment Mm -hmm. to many other things like mercury that may be causing it. But Mm -hmm. honestly, we don't know the real cause and why the incidence has increased. But it's so important to know. And it's not just because women with PCOS don't always ovulate and they may have infertility but they do have an increased risk in all hormonally related cancers. Mm. They also have an elevation in C-reactive protein that's quite common, and that's an inflammatory marker. Mm -hmm. They have an increase in homocysteine, which is an amino acid, Mm. meaning they don't methylate well. And this is bad when you don't because there's an increased risk in heart disease, stroke, bone loss, cognitive decline, and breast cancer. So we can see these markers in people elevating, including an increase in weight gain, an increase in insulin resistance, where insulin does not work effectively in the body. Mm -hmm. We can see these in 17, 20-year-old women, 22-year-old women, where they already have an increased risk in heart disease that's been delineated now. So even at that young of age, we want to work with women to help prevent disease And of course, there is an increased risk in infertility when you don't ovulate. So we want to start working with women as soon as they know that they have PCOS. Gotcha. And what are some of the first steps that you take with a woman that has PCOS? Such a great question. The first thing is we want to look at thyroid function. Thyroid regulates the entire body. But when we do that, we want to look at the entire function. Most doctors just do a blood study of TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, and maybe a free T4. The hormones made by the thyroid are T3 and T4, but you also need to look at T3, the free T3 levels, 
reverse T3, looking at stored thyroid and thyroid antibodies to see if they have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Mm -hmm. So you have to start with the thyroid always. But at the same time, we do a 28-day saliva test so that we get 11 specimens out of the 28 days. And it is a knotty swab. You actually spit into the tube. I always promise my patients I'm only going to ask them to do this once in their lifetime. It'll be a 28-day test. After that, it will be one. But because we look at it for 11 days, then we can find out, is the patient ovulating? Mm-hmm. Is there enough progesterone? And where does estrogen stand? Mm-hmm. Is testosterone an issue? Because in most women with PCOS, testosterone's high. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we leave it high. There is an increased risk of heart disease. So we don't want to do that, much less the increased infertility. So a lot to look at in that saliva test but it's imperative that it's a 28 day test. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If people are going to do a one day test, then they need to do three in the month on day four of the cycle, Mm -hmm. day 14 and day 21. And the first day you bleed is day one of the cycle. That's Mm -hmm. how you count it out. And so it gives us so much information than just doing a blood study. Plus the test looks at cortisol, the stress hormone. And women with PCOS do not tend to process cortisol effectively. Mm. So they tend to have higher DHEA and cortisol levels, the hormones produced by the adrenals. And we have to balance those two. Right. Uh, Honestly, it is a hormonal symphony. I know you heard me say that when you Mm -hmm. came to the seminar, Mm -hmm. everything has to balance. Yes, absolutely. And I talk about that all the time. It's such a a beautiful symphony, you know, when you really start to learn about it and how it's constantly going throughout the month, even when we don't realize it. And, you know, FSH is kicking in for the next month while your estrogen and progesterone is going down in the last cycle. Um, But really, once anything gets out of out of whack, then the whole system can be just not things aren't going well, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. And here it's helping to prevent disease. Mm -hmm. It's also helping women with obesity Mm because a lot of times when they have insulin resistance, they gain weight and until we fix their hormones, they can't lose weight. And it's very frustrating that people exercise and they eat perfectly and they lost a pound. Right. Right. Yeah. So a lot of that has to do with hormonal balance. So then sort of that next step after you get the hormone results would be to, based on what you see, do some hormone replacement therapy at that point, or do you focus on diet more or how does that go? Kind of all of the above. Mm -hmm. I mean, diet's always important, but Mm -hmm. I don't use the word diet in my practice. Mm -hmm. I use healthy eating plan. I like it. (laughs) diet makes it sound like you're going on a diet. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's not the idea. Mm -hmm. We want people just to eat better. They still need to eat carbs, but good carbs. Yeah. Uh, In other words, peaches, plums, and nectarines and Mm -hmm. blackberries and blueberries. They're all carbs. Right. Absolutely. And vegetables are carbs. Yeah. Yeah. And so do we start with diet? Yes. Mm -hmm. Almost all these patients have high testosterone. Right. And it's important for women to have testosterone, but not too much. Yeah. And that's part of the dysregulation or dysfunction that happens. Mm-hmm. And we can lower testosterone with herbal therapies mm. uh, like peony, saw palmetto, okay. uh, mm-hmm. EGCG. There's a lot of herbal therapies. If the patient's already insulin resistant, then we may give them the drug metformin mm-hmm. to help regulate the blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, metformin is honestly the only an- known anti-aging drug that there is. Yeah. So it's, a, it's key that we use metformin if we need to. Mm-hmm. But in an anti-aging approach, every medicine that a healthcare provider prescribes causes between two and 10 nutritional depletions. So when we give metformin, it depletes the body of coenzyme Q10, Mm -hmm. one third of the fueling source in the body and B vitamins, which Mm -hmm. we need for many different things. So if we give metformin, we also give those B vitamins Mm -hmm. uh, as well, along with the coenzyme Q10. That makes sense. Yeah. And, um, 
Oh, what was I just going to ask based off of what you had just said? Um, so with, I, I'm curious, I guess, with the testosterone, you know, sometimes I've seen it where testosterone levels seem to be okay, or they are okay, but then it's really favoring that DHT uh, pathway that it's metabolizing down or the 5A pathway. Do, do you see that in cases of PCOS at all? We do. Mm -hmm. Some women get conversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone, mm -hmm. which unfortunately can cause hair loss. Right. So that's a big deal. Right. I right. honestly have never met a woman who loves her hair. Right. <laughs> I, I don't like my hair. It's too oily. It's, it's kind of straight. But, you know, I grew up in the 60s, which was wonderful. I was the only woman in my class that actually didn't have to iron her hair because <laughs> in the 60s, straight hair was, was the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, women put their hair on an ironing board and ironed it. Oh. It was so crazy. <laughs> so honestly, I've never met a woman who loves her hair. But right. this is my natural color of hair, and I will be 68 in July. That so, is amazing. A testament to anti-aging. Yes, so much. <laughs> I love that. I had a um, nutrition teacher who was similar that she was 60 and she had actually battled cancer when she was younger, but that is what she had done in the anti-aging process after, you know, um, recovering from, from that cancer diagnosis and still had beautiful brown hair. And I was like, okay, that's, that's incredible. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So how long does it usually take that? I guess, once you start doing some of that treatment with PCOS for women to start to notice a difference? A lot of these women do have low progesterone. Mm -hmm. So we replace the progesterone as well. Mm -hmm. And so to balance cortisol, the stress hormone, lower testosterone, give progesterone if needed. It takes at least 90 days. Mm -hmm. And I tell clients that all the time to give the three months, you know, um, particularly when it comes to hormones, because of the way that the egg works, we need to really wait for that. You know, the egg that's, that's happening now essentially was from three months ago. So we need that three months to get to the egg that we're working on at the moment. We do. And people yeah. don't realize that natural things take longer. Yes. And those herbs are natural mm -hmm. and progesterone is bioidentical, mm -hmm. being the same chemical structure that the body made when you were born. Mm -hmm. So once these changes have kind of taken place and women are starting to feel better, do you find that they need to stay on the hormones long-term or just does it depend on the situation? I do. And mm -hmm. when we give progesterone, it does increase fertility. Mm -hmm. If the patient's not desirous and getting pregnant, then, you know, we want to let them know, let's talk about birth control as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, there's other nutrients that also help with PCOS. I mean, vitamin D, mm -hmm. vitamin D is actually a pro-hormone. Mm -hmm. uh, they called it a vitamin before they knew the chemical structure. Mm -hmm. uh, omega-3 fatty acids are important and so are probiotics. And I know you agree with that. Yep. You also have to have a healthy gut. Uh, yep. So all my patients get three things or actually four, mm -hmm. a multivitamin, probiotics, omega-3 fatty acids, and vitamin D if it's low. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I'm always such a big proponent of the omega-3s um, you know, for adrenal health too, like it's such a important part of helping stabilize those adrenals, which so many women struggle on some level with adrenal dysregulation, really. Well, most people in today's world do yeah. uh, just yeah. because of the fact that we have a new virus and, you know, honestly, viruses never leave us right? and they still mutate and that's right. still going to happen. Right. And omega-3s decrease inflammation, which you know, if you're inflamed, and certainly when you get COVID, that cytokine storm is increase in inflammation. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs omega-3s to decrease the inflammatory component. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. And I know there's some people out there that are kind of against fish oil these days. And, you know, I mean, every uh, there's takes on everything. But but from my perspective, it's it's always a useful situation for so many people. Well, as you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to guess. You right. can measure omega-3 right. fatty acids. Mm -hmm. So the science is here for us to do that. Mm -hmm. And so for the naysayers out there, mm -hmm. measure fatty acids. Yes, It's a blood test. And then you'll know if people need omega-3 fatty acids like fish oil. Right, right. There you go. <laughs> it all comes back to the test. Don't guess, right? <laughs> exactly. 
So let's talk about PMS. Is that something that you work with a lot and see a lot with women? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And PMS, actually, the incidence has increased as well. Mm -hmm. And it comes in varying varieties. Uh, It really does. Mm -hmm. I'm going to actually read to you from my book, okay, okay, Mm -hmm. that just came out, The Symptoms of PMS. So I hope everybody in the audience really gets the idea that this is a lot of people. So abdominal bloating, aches and pains, acne flare-ups, alcohol sensitivity, angry outbursts, anxiety. These are in alphabetical order, so we're still (laughs) Asthma attacks increase, avoidance of social activities, backache, bladder irritation, bleeding gums, blood pressure increases in the second part of the cycle, breast tenderness, bruising, changes in appetite, clumsiness, confusion, conjunctivitis, constipation, cramps, craving salty foods or sweets, crying spells, decreased hearing, decreased productivity, decreased sexual drive, depression, diarrhea or constipation, difficulty concentrating, dizziness, drowsiness, even eye pain, facial Mm -hmm. swelling, fatigue, fear of going out alone, fear of losing control, food sensitivities, forgetfulness, headache, more cold sores, hives or rashes, hot flashes, indecision, inefficiency, insomnia, irritability, joint pain, leg cramps, leg swelling, mood swings, muscle aches, nausea, palpitations or heart racing, panic attacks, poor coordination, poor judgment, poor memory, poor vision, restlessness, ringing in the ears, runny nose, seizures, sensitivity to light and some noises, sinusitis, social withdrawal, sore throat, spots in the front of the eyes, suspiciousness, swollen fingers, tearfulness, tension, tingling in the hands and feet, tremors, yes, we're coming to V, <laughs> changes, vomiting, and weight gain. That's wow. a whole lot of things. <laughs> That's a whole lot of things. And so you can see a lot of women don't realize, and these symptoms usually occur in just before they bleed or mm-hmm. uh, into the luteal phase when they're bleeding. And women don't realize that these symptoms are for many of them, part of PMS. Right, right, absolutely. And then there's also what some people call PMS's big bad sister, PMDD, which just kind of extends the time that they're suffering from these symptoms and even worse symptoms, right? Uh, Even worse. In Mm -hmm. fact, some people with PMDD, anxiety and depression uh, are really the overwhelming component Mm -hmm. And they unfortunately get sent off to psychiatry and that's great. We want to work with everyone, but let's look at the cause of the problem, right? If these symptoms are due to low progesterone or neurotransmitter changes that Mm -hmm. can occur again, we can measure hormones. Mm -hmm. We can measure serotonin, right? Okay. And dopamine and other neurotransmitters. Again, the science is here. We do not have to guess. We can help patients. Right. Absolutely. Are you seeing issues too? I I think it's being talked a lot recently about, you know, mold and molds impact even on hormones. Do you see that becoming an issue with the people you work with? I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people have mold and there's a lot of molds out there. Mm -hmm. There's just five major ones that can cause disease in people that are susceptible. Right. And so, you know, some people can be near mold. It doesn't bother other people. It causes major fatigue and other symptoms. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of mold testing. Mm -hmm. That's a urine test. Mm -hmm. It's just another good test to add to the mix. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that too, because I know the oat test will cover some of the neurotransmitters Um, and then some of the, you know, some of the markers for mold that can kind of indicate, then you have to go deeper into, to mold testing. But, um, do you find that if other things aren't working, that mold can be the culprit sometimes or absolutely, particularly Mm -hmm. fatigue and brain fog. Mm -hmm. 
And the oats test that you mentioned is a great test because it looks at organic acids and other things like mitochondrial stress to the body, mm-hmm. which, you know, the mitochondria are engines. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this broadcast from Detroit, Michigan. So I'll give you an analogy related <laughs> to a car. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you end up having a mitochondrial problem, the engines in the body, it's kind of like you put low octane fuel into a Mercedes or into a Tahoe. What happens? It knocks, it breaks down, it dies early. Mm-hmm. The body will do the same thing mm-hmm. if you don't refuel it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people will um, think about all of these other sort of bigger things, right? To look at when we that root is the mitochondria. We, we got to make sure that they're working right for the bigger things to work right. Absolutely. You have to have energy to make most of the things that are reactions in the body actually run Mm -hmm. and to make hormones and everything else. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So going back to PMS, what are some of the first things that, you know, you will recommend to women to do when they're suffering pretty bad from it? To eat better. Mm. I really do start there. Mm -hmm. They actually did a medical trial and that medical trial showed that women with PMS more commonly have poor diets than mm. women that do not develop PMS. So <laughs> foundation, do, right? The foundation. Absolutely. Start yeah, with yeah. how the patient eats. Yeah, you know, yeah. they grab sugar when they get these symptoms. And when they grab sugar, it makes you feel good for about two hours and then you mm-hmm. crash. So you grab sugar again. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you discuss this a lot. Uh, with your patients and on your podcast, you just feel great for two hours and then you crash. Right. Right. And so, and then they often go for the caffeine too, to come back. The caffeine, you know, a cup of coffee is fine. Right. You know, one cup of iced tea or a brewed tea is fine. Mm -hmm. But when you go to the third cup, it reaches 35 milligrams of calcium from the body. Wow. So it actually increases the risk of bone loss. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that tends to be one of the harder things for a lot of women to give up is that, you know, second, third cup of coffee. And, and in some cases, like for me, coffee in general just isn't good, you know, and, and it can be hard. I think sometimes for people to admit that to themselves when they're running on, you know, what, whether it's mitochondrial dysfunction or other things, when they're running on that low energy and caffeine's the kind of thing that gets them through the day. So it's or, hard to get them to wake up. Right. I mean, right. people should not need caffeine in the morning right. to wake them up. Mm-hmm. If they're having good sleep hygiene mm-hmm. and they're sleeping well, mm-hmm. then they should wake up refreshed mm-hmm. and cortisol, the stress hormone should be normal. Right. Uh, cortisol is measured by saliva testing as well. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's all about honestly, still this hormonal balance. Absolutely. So what are some of the things speaking of cortisol, when people say, you know, I'll actually see a decent amount of low cortisol in the morning, which is when we really want our course cortisol at its highest, right. To get us out of bed. What are some of the things that you do um, to help support that sort of shifting to the circadian rhythm, getting back in its rhythm? Stress reduction techniques, mm-hmm. prayer, meditation, Tai Chi, yoga, Qigong, mm-hmm. exercise, massage, breathing techniques, acupuncture, acupressure, uh, a multivitamin. Mm-hmm. And then we do commonly give adaptogenic herbs mm-hmm. like ashwagandha, ginseng, rhodiola. And if people are stressed and wired, then we also give calming herbs like chamomile and lemon balm. Mm-hmm. Do you utilize uh, adrenal glandulars at all? I do if cortisol is low, mm-hmm. but that's only when cortisol is low morning, afternoon, mid-morning, evening. Mm-hmm. If it's low all the time, then yes, we do mm-hmm. use glandulars. Um, that's ad- adrenal extracts. They're mm-hmm. purified. So no problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're first stressed, cortisol elevates, right. it's when you've been stressed for a long time that cortisol becomes too low. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And I I'm glad that you named off all of those things that, you know, uh, people can do because it really comes back so much to sleep and lifestyle when it comes to our, our cortisol regulation, right? It's like, you can't, I mean, I love adaptogenic herbs and they're very helpful, but really you can't, can't supplement your way out of adrenal dysregulation. There's no. just, 
you can stabilize it, but right. you can't you can't ever normalize it. Right. And it's hard to improve as well if you eat sugar all day long. Mm-hmm. It's hard to improve if you never exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, exercise is important. And, and I hate exercise. Honestly, <laughs> I personally do. I do not get the high that some people mm. get out of exercise. Mm-hmm. But I exercise routinely because exercise maintains memory mm-hmm. and it's great for the adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. If you exercise seven days a week, then we do need to give extra nutrients for people who aggressively exercise. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can you can do too much. <laughs> you can. Yeah. It's, again, it's about balance with exercise. And right. honestly, it's about balance with sugar. Right. I mean, if no one is going to die, mm-hmm. if they ate a half of a piece of cake once a week. Right. That, that, you know, that is not going to kill someone, mm-hmm. but if they had, you know, they woke up and, oh, let's have just a candy bar. Mm-hmm. And we'll start our day that way. The day will never go well. No, it won't. <laughs> Every day is going to be bad. So going back to the PMS after diet, what are some of the other things that you uh, focus on? Um, most patients with PMS do have low progesterone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we do replenish progesterone. Uh, we usually give it days 14 through 25 of the cycle. Mm-hmm. Again, it does increase fertility. So mm-hmm. if person's not desirous of getting pregnant, then we work with other things as well. Hmm. Do you have a favorite uh, way of providing progesterone in terms of, do you prefer oral or do you prefer, prefer topical or does it depend on the situation? Well, we like to provide individualized care mm-hmm. like you do mm-hmm. uh, in your practice. And so it is about customized mm-hmm. uh, studies from Spiroff presented at the North American Menopause Society, yet unpublished. He made a really good argument that progesterone for peri and postmenopausal women should be oral. Mm-hmm. It's better for breast health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also crosses the blood brain barrier when mm-hmm. it's oral. It hits the GABA receptors, which helps with sleep. Gives that sleep. (laughs) Absolutely. Get that sleep. Uh, The other thing that with younger people with PMS, uh, PCOS, PMDD, we usually give it as a cream. Mm -hmm. So There's a variance there on on different modalities. Gotcha. Do you ever have any women that are on the oral progesterone from, you know, those days 14 to 25, and then they really want to take it more days because it helps with the sleep so much? I do. Those (laughs) women tend to be more perimenopausal Mm -hmm. than they do younger women. Mm -hmm. And so we try and get them to really support the adrenal glands because that's probably the reason they have insomnia. Although we may do neurotransmitter testing and make sure those neurotransmitters are normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, People don't realize that estrogen actually regulates serotonin, dopamine, GABA. Uh, So it comes back to hormones in a lot of cases. Yeah. Again and again. (laughs) Um, Any other big things that when it comes to PMS or even PMDD that you focus on? Well, certainly being nutritionally balanced. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we do neurotransmitter testing if we need to. Uh, We replace the neurotransmitters. Uh, Patients do commonly need vitamin D. They commonly need magnesium. Mm -hmm. Magnesium has 400 functions in the body. Mm -hmm. So hugely important. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also a calming mineral. You know, calcium excites, balances, with magnesium, which relaxes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if someone can't sleep, uh, if they need progesterone, it's given at night. uh, And we commonly add to that uh, magnesium and calming herbs so they can have a better restorative sleep. Nice. All about that good sleep. So important. It is. So let's talk a little bit more about your book that just came out. Um, I know that we discussed a little bit before we got on here, the differences in the amount of information that is available now when it comes to hormones as compared to even what, less than 20 years ago or about 20 years ago when the first edition came out? This is the first edition that's called HRT, the answers Mm -hmm. that came out in 2003 and it's this thick. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is the second edition, which is called what you must know about women's hormones. Mm -hmm. It's this thick. And that was 2010. Wow. 
This is the edition that literally is hot off the press. Yeah. We love the cover, so we kept it the same. So, so it's good. a second edition. But look, it is this thick. In fact, it is so thick, we could not put the references in the book. Wow. You get a code where you can look at it online. Online. Because there's so much now in the medical literature wow. to support women being hormonally balanced at any age. That's amazing. And I mean, I can't even imagine trying to go through all the research like you've had to obviously go through. So, um, you know, I guess, I mean, it's great. They get your book and then they're going to have access to this research. But what are some of your favorite places that you really tap into this research? Uh, really, honestly, you go on PubMed, mm -hmm. you can type in many things and it will lead you to the next thing, mm -hmm. but you kind of end up in a rabbit hole sometimes because right. right. one leads to the next, to the next, to right. the next, to the next. So, right, right, right. Uh, but we want to be able to support everything we do with science. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what are some of the big things that you've seen, you know, are so different maybe from 2003 until now? Certainly bioidentical or natural hormones are becoming much more commonplace mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of the fellowship. People are able to have it done right mm -hmm. so that they don't have side effects. And the medical literature is now supporting the prevention of heart disease and to help with cognition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now it's a stress world. So in the book, we talk about cortisol. We talk about thyroid. Now, people don't realize if you're stressed, you're probably not going to have sexual function. Right. Now, people come into our practice and say, oh, I know I have low testosterone. Right. I don't have sexual interest. We look at all the hormones. Yeah. Because then we commonly see it's stress. Mm -hmm. it's, that. Right. It's not always low testosterone. I've had the same thing happen to me that clients come in. They're like, I know my testosterone is low. And then actually their testosterone may be fine, but that cortisol is not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So balancing the cortisol makes a difference in all of these hormones. Mm -hmm. And let me measure uh, mention another hormone called pregnanolone. Mm -hmm. This is your hormone of memory. And of course, it's so funny to me that it would be hard to say and hard to spell. <laughs> so it's P-R-E-G-N-E-N-O-L-O-N-E, -E, pregnanolone. A nice long one. <laughs> it is. And it comes from cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So your total cholesterol has to be at least 140 to make pregnanolone. Mm -hmm. But in what we call the stereogenic pathway where your hormones are made, what happens is pregnanolone will directly make cortisol. You have to have cortisol to stay alive. If you don't have it, you die in seven days. Mm -hmm. So the body will take pregnanolone and make cortisol, mm -hmm. but pregnanolone also makes estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA. Mm -hmm. But if you're stressed, whether you're 24, 50, or 80, pregnanolone can get depleted. So you can get brain fog when you're 27. Right. Because pregnanolone will make cortisol to keep you alive if you stay stressed all the time. Right. Right. So important, such important, you know, information for everyone to understand the, these processes. Um, one thing I'm curious about in terms of the studies that you saw, you know, 2003 versus now, and just in general, what you kind of, you know, um, are witnessing out there. I know for so long, progesterone in studies may have meant progestins. They didn't differentiate. Is that happening more now where they differentiate? Or do you think a lot of the literature still has progesterone when it means progestin? It's happening less frequently. Okay. Uh, so progesterone is natural progesterone. Mm -hmm. Progestin is synthetic. And if you're talking about both of them together, it's called progestogens, mm. uh, but you are very correct. Sometimes the medical literature mixes terms. Mm -hmm. I see it all the time, even with clients going to their doctors, you know, and their doctors say that they're putting them on progesterone. And I'm, I, I always say, well, let me know what it really is. Cause I think it's probably a progestin and not progesterone. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so I always try and make that point uh, to people that, I understand that they're two chemically different things when, you know, bioidentical progesterone is chemically the same as what our body makes. It is interesting. And honestly, we really wish that people, if they're not familiar with hormones, 
would not discuss them with patients. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, case in point is estrogen. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people think estrogen is evil. Right. It's not. Right. It does have 400 functions in the body. Right. So it's taste, touch, smell, hearing, skin tone. Mm -hmm. It lowers cholesterol, blood sugar, blood pressure. And it literally is a woman's memory. Mm -hmm. And it does have to balance with progesterone. It is all about uh, a balance in the body. Yeah. And the hormones are a symphony and they do have to play in tune. Absolutely. I tell people this all the time because, you know, I had a fibroid, a very large fibroid that I had to get removed. And, um, you know, for so long, I was under this idea of estrogen being just this bad guy, you know, that fed the fibroid. And it took me years of learning. I mean, it's really about estrogen being unopposed or not having that progesterone to balance it out along with, of course, the other sort of chemical estrogens that we get, xenoestrogens from our environment and things like that. And also how my body was metabolizing that estrogen, you know, and now I always tell people, as soon as my estrogen goes down, even with my fibroid history, I will hundred percent go on uh, estrogen replacement because I oh. know how important it is for the brain. Uh, the bone I and do the heart. take natural hormones and you're right about environmental estrogens. Mm -hmm. Plastics are the biggest one. So I'm going to drink out of a glass bottle yes. right now to prove <laughs> my point. Yes, okay? absolutely. Because phytoestrogens, plastic is the biggest one that there is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I'm really glad you brought up though, how uh, um, the estrogen is not the bad guy. It's such an important hormone for our bodies, uh, for the long term. So absolutely. Well, this was such an amazing conversation with you. I appreciate it so much for you taking the time and sharing about your new book, which I know right now at this very moment is already sold out, but it should be by the time this episode comes out, right back, back availability at Amazon on Amazon, of yeah. course, or your local bookstores. Yes. If they don't have it in, you can pre-order. Okay. And if your local bookstore doesn't carry it, then please ask. Yes. We're happy to order it for you. 100%. And we're definitely a big fan of uh, getting books to the local bookstores. They do hard, good work and need to, to keep on going and have these great books available to us. So, um, and again, the name of it is what you must know about your women's, about women's hormones, the second edition, the nice big fat edition. I can't wait to get it. I'm so excited to add it to my library and learn so much more. So um, I appreciate you again, taking the time to be with us today. It was so illuminating. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, you guys, I will see you next time. <laughs>